How do we build our dreams when we don't know what we want? Learn how Flaunt solves this problem in five bold and glittery steps with radio host Laura Cheadle. Using a combination of best girlfriend discussions and therapy-based exercises, listeners are taught how to build their dreams and live their sparkle. Flaunt. Find your fetish, laugh out loud, accept unconditionally, navigate the negative, and trust in your truth. Welcome to Flaunt, Build Your Dreams and Live Your Sparkle. I'm Laura Cheadle, and I cannot wait for today's show. I cannot wait to interview this guest because she is one of the most inspiring, fun-loving, motivational women I have ever met in my life, and I am not kidding you there. Her name is Juju Hook, and she is a brand strategist, an author, a coach, and a speaker dedicated to fostering self-love, confidence, and courageous action in middle-aged women, which I just, I mean, just like right there, that's just enough for me because that is so awesome because middle-aged women are so overlooked. But anyway, personally, when she was 50, she walked away from a 25-year career as a brand strategist to rebrand middle-aged for women and to inspire 1 million women to live out the second half of their lives with more passion and joy than the first. Now, her proprietary system uncovers the one question, three problems, and six lies that midlife women must recognize and overcome in order to live out the dreams they've set aside. She recently released her first book. Now, you're going to love this title, Hot Flashes, Carpools, and Dirty Martinis, the quintessential guide for turning midlife into prime time. So with that, welcome to the show, Juju. Thank you so very much. How are you? Good. I am just so excited to get to get down and dirty with you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. Okay, so I just kind of want to launch in. You were a brand strategist. For people who don't know what that is, can you just give us a quick rundown of what Absolutely. I started as a marketing executive in the financial industry right out of college um, as, a, as a, a marketing manager in a financial institution, worked my way up to the executive rank, um, and then opened my own agency. And essentially what I did was help big corporations develop brands for themselves, create messaging um, that would connect with consumers and um, value statements and actions and touch points and things that would really demonstrate to the world what a business stood for and, you know, why it was the right one for you. And first I did on the financial side, then I opened my own agency and I specialized in financial and automotive for about 14 or 15 years. Um, and then ultimately decided to walk away when, when I hit prime time. I love it. And your specific mission in walking away was rebranding prime time for women. Yeah. So um, what I found through a series of kind of unfortunate events in my life that I'm sure that we'll talk about as we go forward is that middle-aged women in general have an understanding of what midlife is about, or more importantly, what aging is about. And we get those messages from outside of us. So if I look at middle-aged woman as a brand, it's different than any other brand that I've ever created or that anyone has ever created because 
Um, brand is really nothing more than what people think of or feel when you hear a name. So if I say Tiffany, it makes you think or feel a certain way or Mercedes or Apple. And those feelings and those thoughts around those brands are really, really carefully crafted by the people who own the brands. Um, and that's what I did for many, many years. But the middle-aged woman brand is different because we didn't write the messaging around it. It was hijacked. Um, and it was hijacked by all different factions of society that don't have our best interests in mind. Um, more specifically, factions of society that want to sell us something or sell somebody else something um, and in the process sort of put us in a place where we don't deserve to be. And so middle-aged women have taken on that brand um, and I really have made it my mission to invite as many middle-aged women as I can to rebrand it with me as prime time. I love that. Okay, so we didn't write, and I'm saying we because I'm 50, <laughs> whether or not yeah. the listeners are a we, I, I don't mean to insult you if you're not feeling like middle-aged or if you're not. I'm just going to say we, you know, to make it easy instead of, yeah. We didn't write that brand. I, I hear you. You're right. Nobody goes in and thinks, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. So what are some of those messages that have been thrown on us that you're trying to move away from? So the, I would say that the biggest culprit um, right now in writing the middle-aged woman brand is the anti-aging industry. So this is an industry that's new. When I was a kid, there was no anti-aging industry. My mom had day cream and night cream, right? There was nothing on her counter that was designed to make her look like she never aged a year or that she was a late model used vehicle forever. <laughs> uh, but somewhere along the way, this anti-aging industry came into play. In 2015, it was a $250 billion industry. They estimate that by 2021, it'll be $350 billion. And what's really interesting about this industry is that almost all of the money is spent by women and almost none of it is spent on things that would actually make us live longer. So it's not really anti-aging. Instead, for women, what it is, is the ability to look as though we haven't aged, you know, as much as we have. And it's a really, really negative message. And what I always tell women is that, that if you really think about it, it's absurd that we're all getting older every day, you know, and we're doing it together. And the idea that we need to pretend that we're not is literally absurd. I liken it to if, and if tomorrow an anti-elbow industry popped up, right? right. We, all have, we all have elbows, right? Right. And uh, tomorrow, say, an anti-elbow industry pops up and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars just firing messages at you that because you have elbows, you're worthless. Because you have elbows, you're not as valuable to society as, say, people who don't have elbows, who, by the way, don't exist. Okay? Right. Right. And um, this is what they tell us, because you're aging, you're worthless, you're worthless than people who are not aging, who don't exist. And if they fired enough of those messages at you, eventually you'd start to get some really bad sensation around your elbows. Maybe you'd start com to compare your elbows to other people's elbows. Maybe you'd want to have them surgically removed, right? <laughs> All different kinds of things. And if, and if they fired enough of these messages at you, to make you insecure and then sold you solutions for the very insecurities that they created, you'd be stuck in a loop. 
And that's what, what happens with middle-aged women is that we're stuck in a loop, a, a, a messaging loop that industries like this created for us and we don't know how to get out. Absolutely. I can totally see that. And you know, as you were talking about the anti-aging industry, I was thinking there are so many other things that have stemmed from that. Yes. It's kind of crazy and it's insidious. It really is insidious. And you know, what's so interesting is that when I, as I talk to middle-aged women, I hear, and, and this is ultimately why I wrote the book, I hear sort of a set of common lies that they believe. And I, I, I don't call them mistruths or bad messaging. They're lies. They're just things that are absolutely not true. And they're lies because they're purposeful. The, the, the people who created these industries, they told these lies on purpose. Right. Uh, and, and it, it is really insidious because we come to own it. And then after we own it, we spread it. Right. Yes. And so we become part now we're branded and the brander. And I, and what it really takes is an understanding of the truth and to have that shift um, so that you can get out of it. And all of these things that we pay for and, and we believe, or we feel that we can't live without really have nothing to do with our own, our own satisfaction or what we can do in the second half of life. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny as you were saying that, and I was thinking about this too, I teach fitness and I've taught fitness since I was 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I turned 40, there was a big push in the industry that fitness after 40, you know, that's the thing. And now, and I'm not bashing things like silver sneakers. They're great programs. But now that I'm almost 50, it's that same thing. Ooh, now that you're 50, you're not going to teach that. You know, you've been really pushing it these last 10 yeah. years. Well, yeah. no, I, for my body, no, I haven't. I've been doing this since I was 18 and I'm, I'm fine. Well, and here's, you know, I want to say something about silver sneakers because I think this is important, right? So, so silver sneakers, for lack of a better phrase, is really about old age. Okay, and what we don't really have a handle on is what happens between what we perceive as our glory time and old age, right? What happens in these 20, 30, 40 years between the time I feel like I'm really rocking it and the moment, whatever milestone birthday it is, and it's different for every woman, is it the moment that I turn 30 or 35 or 40 or 45 or 50, whatever it is that I say, oh my God, it's just downhill from here. Right? And then I have this gap, this amazing gap of years that I somehow believe is just sub, subpar, substandard, right? It's, and I'm going to go along with the status quo. And what I really encourage women to do is to see that as the best time of your life because you're primed. You're ready. You're experienced. We have amazing judgment. Most of us have mothered something, either a child or pets or relationships or careers or projects. We're on our way sort of out of that mothering phase. Many of us have had long careers and we're, we're ready. We're ready for this huge starring role in our lives. But instead, what we look at is this sort of gaping hole mm -hmm. of, of midlife. And, you know, working out is that you have a choice in midlife about your body, right? It's going to change. There's no right. doubt it's going to change perimenopause and then menopause, what you do with that change is really all about reinventing and, you know, coming out as someone new and, and seizing prime time or sort of fading away. 
And that's a choice. And when it's an informed choice, when you really understand the truth about middle age, it's just a ton of fun. I mean, this is the best time of my life and I suspect it is yours too. That's how we hooked up. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I hear what you're saying. I'm hearing the problems. I'm hearing that you've got the solution. You're going to rebrand. What, what all is involved in that? Because I'm thinking the listeners out there might be thinking, yeah, Juju, this sounds great. Laura looks like she's having fun. You look like you're having fun. But, but, yeah. some other people say, but I feel, but what about, how do you help women get, get over the butt? So it's kind of a revolution. Um, and, and I say revolution instead of evolution or transformation because it really does involve pushing back against the status quo, pushing back against norms of society or beliefs of society. And the first thing that I encourage women to do is to get real about what you want. And this sounds so simple, but I, I coach women every day, right? I take women through all different kinds of group experiences. And when I say, what do you want? Very often there's a long pause after that question, because up to this point, what we want hasn't really factored into the equation since we were quite young. There comes a point where it's all about what we're supposed to do, whether right. that's for someone else or in our career or whatever. And so in, in, in middle age, in prime time, what you want becomes front and center. And so I really encourage women to take that first step and figure out what that is. And there are all kinds of ways that you can do that, that you can determine what you want. So don't, don't freak out if what you think is, I don't want anything. And I hear this from women all the time. I don't really you know, I have everything I want, or I don't really have anything I'm passionate about. Um, and you don't have to start with passion, but it's really nice to understand something that you want in the same way that you wanted things when you were young. So you know, when we were 20, when we were 21, we knew what we wanted. We knew what life was going to look like for us. We knew what we were after, what we were in hot pursuit of. And I try to take women back to that space because this, this really is the time to reinvent. So, so that's sort of number one is what do you want? Um, and then the, the second half of it is really sort of bu bucking that status quo. This is where the revolution comes in. And it's all about understanding the lies that you're being told, what you're being fed, and seeing them. Being aware of these really insidious lies and understanding the truth. And, you know... Uh, one of the things that my own coach taught me early on in, the, in my own sort of primetime process was about the word why. And we tend to focus a lot as women on the word why. You know, why did this happen to me? Why am I here? Why am I feeling this way? Why did so-and-so do this? And the word why, unless you're a scientist with a white lab coat on and you're, you know, using the scientific method, the word why is really irrelevant. Um, who, what, or how? And so in my book and in my programs, the question is always, who, what, or how can I overcome this lie and live in the truth? And I think understanding what you want and then knowing what's going to keep you from getting it, having a little toolbox, right, to step past right. those things really is the way it works. I love that. that. That's one of those things I think I need to spend some actual hours pondering <laughs> on or journaling on. You're right. We, I get stuck in the why. Yes, we all do. We all do. Why me? Why me? Right. And the, the problem with the question why is that it just takes you into a downhill spiral. Your brain is never going to re respond with because you're awesome. 
because you're perfect, right? The answer to the why questions are always awful things about us, right? Because you're not enough, because no one loves you, because you didn't try hard enough, because, or- I made a mistake. Yes, or the answers are things that would indicate that the world's unfair to us, right? Because because so-and-so got there first, or because I wasn't treated fairly, or because there wasn't enough of this, or because I don't have enough time, or what, the answers are never positive. The answers to who, what, or how are extremely productive. So the idea is, you know, to, to determine what it is that you want. And then I really work with women on the who, what, or how do I get there? And the, the who, what, or how, the impediments to that are, are most often the lies. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I want to hit the whys next, but I want to jump in um, just for a fun little comment here. Have you seen the movie Book Club? Yes, I just watched it the other night. Isn't yes. that a great movie? <laughs> so the ladies, in the, the ladies in the Navy Book Club are really inspiring because they're even older, right? These ladies yeah. are not midlife. I mean, Jane Fonda's in her 80s. I don't know how what age she was supposed to be in the movie. Oh, she's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but this, this idea that something is appropriate yes, is one of the lies, right? This is one of the lies that I talk about the most, the lie of impropriety, the lie that there is someone somewhere making rules. Exactly. exactly. That, that being just doesn't exist. And I know for some women, religion plays a role in that about what's appropriate and what's not, but that really doesn't have anything to do with age. That has to do with life in general, right? And we, we come to believe that things, and we hear that's not appropriate at this age, right? Like I, I had a woman tell me that it was not appropriate to wear jeans with holes in them at this age. And you and I talked about hair length, right? It's not appropriate to have your hair past your shoulders at this age. And which is absolutely absurd, right? Yes. Who made this up? Where did you get this? And who's, and who's keeping score? And what happens if you break the rules? Right. And it feels really good. Just like the women in, in book club felt, right? It feels yes. good. It feels good to cast aside this lie of impropriety because it's just bull crap. Yes. Yes. And what I really liked about that, Diane Keaton's characters, for, for the listeners who haven't seen it, um, Diane Keaton is this beautiful, vibrant woman who <laughs> yeah. passed away um, and too young. He passed away, you know, unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And her two daughters keep spewing these old uh, person lies at her. And it's hysterical. Yes, like, they try to move her into the basement. Right, and like, we have a no-slip shower. <laughs> It's like you shouldn't drive after dark. I mean, the lies they speak are hilarious. And I think in the movie, if I remember now, she's like 60, right? 60, 60, something like that. Yeah, they're going to move her into the basement. And what's amazing to me is the way she responds to it, which is the way most of us are taught, conditioned to respond to it, which is, well, it's time now. Right. This is sensible. There's some sense in all of this. I mean, what am I going to do when I get older? I, you know, this is a great plan. So this is the point where I always point out to women that in the United States, the average lifespan, life expectancy for a woman is between 84 and 86 years old. So if you're 60 and you're thinking about winding down and moving into somebody's basement, you're going to have a long time to sit in the basement. 
And, you know, back to what you said about working out and about, you know, supplements and, and hormone therapy and all the things that we can do to actually physically feel younger, that's 60 years that you can live, or 20, 30 years, you can live exactly the same as you did the 20 or 30 before. So yes. it really is a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And I love that you just flat out call them lies because they are. Oh yeah, they're lies. There we hear so just lies, 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 and the way that we believe them um, is, I, you know, I talk, literally talked to hundreds of women, and they would all tell me the same thing, word for word. So yeah. it's ingrained in us. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And and you're right. Nobody is keeping track and watching. Ha <laughs> ha! Your hair's too yeah. long. Ha <laughs> ha! Your skirt's too short. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to just jump really quickly to your book a little bit because your yeah. book specifically addresses these lies and yes. what to do about it. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit more about your book. Cause I, I know you coach women all, uh, as well, but I'm thinking for people who might just want to learn a little bit more about this before they, you know, might think, Hey, I do yeah. need to figure out what I want. So the book, um, I, the, the book itself is called Hot Flashes, Carpools, and Dirty Martinis, The Quintessential Guide for Turning Midlife into Prime Time. In addition to the book, I have a little 21-day revolution. So for those women who want to buy the book with some assistance, I also do it in a 21-day sort of group environment where you get a little more in-depth and you get the book along with that. So Why? you can buy it on Amazon. If you want to buy the revolution, buy the experience, it's only $47. You get the book with it. Um, you can get it at positivelyprimetime.com. And that way you'll get a signed book in the mail from me. Um, and that, so that's, that's how you kind of access the book. Um, what I do in the book is in the, in the first part of the book, I talk about the three problems. And as, as women, not only are we taught to believe these lies about middle age, but we understand what I call three math problems. I call it mad girl math. Um, when my son was when my son was little, he had to do mad dog math, where every day he had to practice these timetables, and it was a hot mess. Everyone in our family was furious. It made a mad dad, a mad mom. We had a mad vacation to Australia. It was a mess. Yep. Um, but mad girl math, I liken to that because we come to believe these three equations, and they're wrong. And we, the answers are wrong that we arrive at. And we live every day with these equations in our head. And the first one is that my thoughts equal reality, that the things that go through my head are actually truth. Um, and nothing could be further from the truth. Your thoughts don't even come from you. They come to you. And so what we do with them, what we wrap around them, what we give credence to and respect to is really our choice. Um, the second one is my feelings are facts. And this is really hard for women because our feelings are real. They're visceral. We feel them in our body. They're actual, um, but they're not factual. And so that's a, that is a, an, an equation that we have to undo. And then the, the third one is my past equals my future. And this is probably the most damning equation for a middle-aged woman because it prevents us from beginning again. What we believe is that everything I've been equals everything that I can become. And it's not true. Your past is not a reliable predictor of your future. Your actions are a reliable prediction of your future. So that's, that's sort of the, what, I, what I discuss first in the book. 
Um, and then I discuss the six lies, the lies that are fed to us. And for each lie, um, I highlight a story of a beautiful middle-aged woman in my life, primetime woman in my life. Um, some of it is a is insight into you know my home life and how I grew up, and some of some of them are just beautiful women who I know that have overcome the lies. And I outline a lie and tell a story, and it's it's just a ton of fun. And then I give. Um, facts and stats. There's actual science and statistics to support this. Yeah. I didn't make this stuff up, right? Um, and then tools for, for how you can overcome the lies. I like that. And I think those tools would be so valuable because yes, once we recognize it, that's its own little revolutionary shift right there. But then it becomes, what do I actually do? And I think that ties back into kind of what you were saying that a lot of women don't know what they want. Yes. Once a lot of women then finally come to that conclusion, aha, this is it. You're right, it's that voice in your head. Well, in the past, this didn't work. Well, I've never been good at math anyway. Well, what about, well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh -huh. And it's, no, it's like any other learning process. If we've raised kids, we know kids don't learn how to read overnight. We right. don't say, here's the alphabet, here are the yeah. sounds, put it all together, you got this. It's a mm -hmm. process. It's a process. Yeah. yeah. Here's some tips and here's some tools and we're going to do it. And what, you know, one of the lies that I talk about in the book, I call the lie of extenuating circumstances. And, you know, almost every woman that I know or coach or spend time with tells this lie in some way or another, which is, sounds like, well, it's, that's easy for her because she has blah, 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 or that's much more difficult for me because I have a child with autism or I'm 40 pounds overweight or I have a problem with my blood sugar or my husband doesn't believe in this or whatever the circumstance is, I don't have enough money. There's always an extenuating circumstance that prevents me from having what I want. And this is a lie that once we become aware that we're telling it, once we hear it in our minds and coming out of our lips, we can begin to rewrite in truth who, what, or how can I go out and get what I want given this reality. So it may well be the reality of your situation, but that doesn't mean it's preventing you from having what you want. And that's a great place for women to start, which is what are the extenuating circumstances that I'm using every day to prevent me from, from getting what I want? Yes. And I love likening that back to something you said about fitness and the body changes and we can make an informed decision. Yes. I can work out and look this way or I cannot work out and I can look this way. There's nothing wrong with either choice. No. Knowing that you're making it. And when you were talking about extenuating circumstances, I just have to share this little thing that happened to me. For a lot of years, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I loved it, and I valued it, and my family valued it. However, there's that societal voice that was out there saying, do something more. You're yes. wasting a law degree. You're not doing anything. So for a lot of years, I told this story. I would pursue my career. I would finish my book. I would coach more, but I can't. I've got kids at home. I can't. Exactly. And then, yeah. And then one day I thought, no, 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 I can't. I choose not to. Uh -huh. And that was so liberating. Nothing in my life changed 
me. I realized I was choosing to give it all to my family. That was my choice to self-sacrifice. Yes, and you know, what's really interesting about extenuating circumstances is my story is a little bit like the story that you just told, but it was sort of a self-sabotage story. So I, I, I start the book and, and my talks on stage with the story about a morning when my son was in junior high and, you know, he was just hitting puberty. I was in menopause, which is a, just a show. <laughs> that puberty menopause thing is an amazing combo. Um, and we had an enormous argument and that turned into something very ugly. And he crawled out the second story window in a rainstorm, ran away before school. It was, it was, it was, it was a show. Um, and I, I eventually got him to school that day. And afterwards his principal called me and kind of called me out and said, Hey, listen, Christian came to school really upset today. He's feeling a lot of pressure. He's feeling that, um, you know, you're, maybe your love for him is conditional on some kind of performance, all, all kinds of things. And I just sort of let it, let it go. All the feelings that I had about my son and that he wasn't really trying, he wasn't really applying himself. He was never going to get into a good college. He was going to live a life of mediocrity. What if he just was skated by forever? And this amazingly wise man said to me, I don't think this is about him. I think this is about you. Ha. <laughs> And I think you're overparenting him, you know, just kind of all the stuff that a, a mom doesn't really want to hear. But worse yet, it really had me come to understand that I had always sort of lived a shadow career, that I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to express myself. I wanted to change the world with my words. From a very young age, I was afraid to do that. Although I knew I was a good writer, what I chose to do were write other people's words to write words about, about businesses or about CEOs, for CEOs, for companies, for marketing departments. And it was really a wake-up moment for me that now, at, at the time I was 48, I have something to say. What I realized from that is that I could do everything that I'd always wanted to do. I could write that book and change the world with my words not in spite of the fact that I was nearly 50, but because of it. It was my age that gave me power. It was the time in my life to do this. And I realized too that I had never really given myself a chance. And I think that's a case with a lot of middle-aged women. We've set a dream aside. We've always wanted something. We've longed for something. And we tell ourselves, well, my ship has sailed or there's not enough time left. Or I just don't have the energy that I used to have, or I don't have the capacity that I used to have. And those things are just not true. They're, they're, it's just absolute abject bullcrap. And once we really see that and understand that now is the time. And I help women do all kinds of things. You know, I have women who come to me that have always wanted to express themselves artistically. They, you know, I painted as a child or I ice skated or I danced like you, like you did, Laura, or I was a writer or anything that was artistic that they set aside because at some point someone told them they weren't good enough or they could never really do this for a living. And as we leave that mothering phase and our body starts to shift and our body knows and understands that we're no longer needed in this way, there's a physical call. Yes. All of a sudden, women wake up and they think, oh, I'm dying to do this. I need to express myself. I need to show this. They don't know where the call's coming from. They don't know what to do with it. 
And my message always is it's, it's, it's time. Your brain doesn't, your brain and your body don't present possibilities to you that you can't fulfill. The very reason it comes to you is because it's yours to have. Yes. Yes. And like that, I, tagging back to you, I can't remember what it was that you said, but it made me think there were so many years as a young attorney that I was too young and I was too inexperienced and I wasn't mature enough. And I was told, you've got to be older. You've got to give it more time. And overnight, the message shifted from you're not old enough to you're too old. And yes, is that crazy? Yes. Crazy. And, and you're 50. It's not like you're 85, right? You're not too old to do anything. Unless your dream is to be in the 1984 Olympics, you're not too late. Right. Really, you can do this. Right. So I think, and, and you know, what's really interesting too is there was a study done not long ago by a supplement company and they interviewed 2,000 women who had just turned 50. And 50% of them said that they were intimidated by a younger woman in the room. Now, wow. intimidation all comes from those societal messages that we're talking about, right? And about where the money is placed to, as we grow older. So, to, you know, the, the, the money in research and science, like I don't want it to slide that all of the money that's spent, I shouldn't say all of it, the lion's share of the money that's spent on anti-aging for women is about the way we look, and the lion's share of money that's spent on anti-aging for men is about the way that they perform. Huh. And when you take the way that they perform and the little blue pill and our insecurities about the way we look, then you get this overlap that makes us feel intimidated by younger women in a room and that makes us feel invisible. They also said that 50% of these women said that at some point since the time they turned 50, they felt invisible, not ugly, not bad, invisible, literally can't be seen in a room. Yes. And I think, I think we also get these messages from the tech industry and from Silicon Valley that it's a, it's a younger person's game. You're going to have to really keep up all of these shifts in social media. You know, my son's generation is hundred percent digital. There's nothing analog in his life from the time that he was born. And we are a generation that's bridging this analog digital gap. And we feel it gives us, makes us feel the sense of urgency and this intimidation by people who are younger than us. And it's just bull crap. This is stuff for us to use to our benefit and advantage. If you don't want to use it, don't use it. But don't let it use you. Right. And you know, that goes back to that choice as well. We are smart enough. We are capable. Yes. We we can choose to use it. And if we choose not to, that's fine. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to address this because I know you've addressed this as well with some of the women that you coach. It does take a while to learn something new. Yes, it does. It's uncomfortable to pick up whether it's a new app or a new, you know, (laughs) laptop or a new, whatever we're picking up, even though we've used computers for years, new ones, when you update to Windows, whatever, it's different and you have to relearn it. And there's that bit of discomfort. Yeah. Being, being comfortable with discomfort. It's funny. I just had a, had a long conversation with a coach, a middle-aged coach who I really admire the other day about this, that the answer to so much, so many of these questions is deciding to be 
comfortable with discomfort, deciding to do something that doesn't necessarily feel good. But beginning something is scientifically speaking, and from a research standpoint, it takes about 50 hours in something to feel proficient enough at it that you will enjoy it in some way. So whether you want to take up golf or writing fiction or the clarinet, it's going to take about 50 hours before you really feel like you're proficient. Now, here's what's beautiful about that. If you're 50 and you decide you're going to pick up the clarinet, by 51, if you do this an hour a week, you're actually going to be playing the clarinet. So that's really not that long to go from, I have no idea what this is, to I'm playing it in my bedroom. Right. After that, it takes about a thousand hours to be an expert. And here's the beauty about that. If you're 50 and you're going to die at 86, you got 36 years to be an expert. So this feeling that time is barreling down upon us and we just don't have enough left and it's going to run out and I'm so stressed out and I can never learn to play the clarinet because there's just not enough time left is totally untrue. It's a lie. Right. And also you said, what, an hour? Hey, if you're really bored and your kids are gone and you spend four hours a day. Yeah. An hour every day. day. Yeah. You spend an hour every day in seven weeks. You'll be clarinet, right? And we get, we, we forget what it's like to be a beginner. And then the most, the most painful thing that we do in terms of self-inflicted pain is we compare our beginnings to someone else's middle. Yes. I'm in so many groups of women, career related groups. And I watch women do this over and over again that I compare, you know, I have a new website or I have a new program. I'm opening a new business. And all of a sudden, I'm comparing my beginning to someone else's middle. And I'm reading these ads that say from, you know, yesterday I was living in my mother's basement and today I own a mansion and a yacht, right? And now I have, my, my heart seizes and I think, oh, I'm a loser. I'm not getting there fast enough. And it's just crazy. The beauty of beginning is that it's fun. Yes. There's no expectations in the beginning. We're just throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks, to see what we like. And if you live there, you can change the the, the whole second better half of your life. Mm -hmm. I love that. I really love that. And you're right about the whole beginning thing. It's fun. You know, like I said, I teach fitness. And I teach yoga and my body is naturally flexible. I've been teaching since I was 18. I should be able to touch my toes. Yes. And it cracks me up when people come in and they're like, well, I've got to quit because I can't touch my toes. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. see. <laughs> and you know what's funny about that is that men don't really do that. So, no. so I went and got my yoga teacher certificate as part of every year my husband and I have play a little game where we say, who do we want to be this year? And each year we make up a new person. So one year I was yoga instructor. So I went and got my yoga teacher certificate. Everyone in the course was 18, by the way. I was, you know, 46 or whatever. And so I taught little practice classes at home with my husband, who's who's an Iron Man. And at one point I said, touch your toes. And he bends down and he's got, his fingers are like dangling right below his knees. And he said, I am touching my toes. (laughs) There was no apology. There was no, I can't do this. It was, what's wrong with you? I am touching my toes. Move on. You're wasting my time. So I think a lot of this is really, to some extent, it's innately female. And it has to do with things that we've been taught about the fact that we're supposed to have stuff buttoned up. Yes. 
Isn't that true? That is so true because I, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. I'm just not flexible. I shouldn't do yoga. Yeah, I shouldn't. But if you, disregarding the fact that if I do yoga, I'll become flexible. Exactly. And on the way, I'll get to go to a class with a bunch of women who are going to become my friends, who I like, and explore something new and have new feelings and smell new things. Right. And this, But all these expectations of I'm supposed to be buttoned up. And by, you know, by the time we're 50, we know a lot of stuff. Yes. And women have been through a lot of stuff. I always say, if you really want to get out of a jam, you call a 50-year-old woman, right? You don't call a young man or an older, we call a 50-year-old woman, right? And she knows what to do. So we're not used to not knowing what to do. So true. And we don't find the fun in it. And yeah. I really encourage women to find the fun and not knowing what to do and just going on an adventure. I love that. I love that. So tell me your version of prime time, your version of this new brand in a perfect yeah. world. What would it look like for you? So in a perfect world for me, prime time is about rewriting your own role in your life. You know, that I, I, I called it prime time based on my own experience with buying television advertising for my clients over many years. And prime time really is the eight to 11 time slot. It's the most valuable time slot in television day parts that you can buy. Uh, it's when shows have their widest audiences. It's where the greatest actors, you know, role players appear. And I really believe that middle age for women is prime time. It's the 8 to 11 time slot. It's the time when we show up where we're the most prepared, we're the most ready, we have the most experience, we have the greatest amount of skill, we have great judgment, we have more power than we can ever recognize. We're ready. We're ready for the greatest show of our life. So for me, prime time is about deciding what I want in this better half of my life during this period. What does it look like to have it? You know, if I, if I were going to describe my life in prime time, what would be amazing about it? What would it look like? How would things change? And then really understanding how to go out and get that and making that the way that we deal with this better half of life, that this is what I want and this is who, what, or how I'm going to go out and get that. And it becomes a real adventure. It becomes a showing up in a way that we never have before. And, and for most women by this time, our kids are either of an age where they don't need us as much, even though we may need them. <laughs> um, and our lives are beginning to shift. And once it's also really important to recognize your prime time role, because as you go through these transitions and lots of transitions happen in midlife, you know, our parents become older. Oftentimes we shift from taking care of our kids to taking care of our parents or we lose our parents. Um, oftentimes we're at an age or a space in our career where it's logical to retire. Maybe we've been 20, 25 years in the same career with the same company doing the same thing. We're bored or it's just a natural time for a shift. Oftentimes our relationships shift during this time. There's a tremendous amount of gray divorce happening right now. And more often than not, it's women leaving men because for the first time ever women are you know, baby boomer women are often very financially independent or have the capacity to be financially independent. And I know that that's also the case um, as Gen X women are coming into middle age. 
Um, so we have all these transi- transitions, transitions in our relationships and our bodies, right? We're leaving that, that mothering phase of life. And if you really nail what you want prime time to look like and what you're after, then you can rock the transitions. The transitions become something that you're going to work through as you're pursuing what you want. If you don't identify what you want in prime time and what prime time looks like, it's very easy to become the transitions. Now what I am is, is a caretaker for my mom or what I am is a divorced woman or what I am is an empty nester. And those, none of those roles or titles have anything to do with who you really are or what you want. They're about a transition and circumstance. And so I really think for me, prime time looks like, what do I want? And for me that I, I want to speak on stage. I want my message to touch a million women. I want to help women rebrand middle age for every woman. Primetime looks looks different, but that's my role. And as the transitions present themselves, that's still my role. I'm just my role while I'm taking care of my mom. And I think that's a really important distinction. I love that. And yes, because as you were talking about those transitions, I was also seeing those as extenuating circumstances. Well, once my, you know, kids get back out of my basement, well, once my parents get, you're right, you can get so locked into uh-huh. positions and never move on. And they're not extenuating circumstances because at the risk of sounding cold, and I don't mean to, all of us are going to lose our parents if we haven't already. It's going to happen to each and every one of us. When it happens to you, it will feel differently than it does to every other woman out there, but it's going to happen nonetheless. Our kids are going to grow up, but God willing, they are all going to leave our basements. Right. That's going to happen. We are going to go through menopause. These things are going to happen to you. The way that you deal with them and how you perceive them, whether they are your life, or your life is something else as you work through those things is your choice. Mm-hmm. And making an informed choice, like you said, is a practice. It's really about understanding these are the voices I'm hearing in my head. These are the thoughts that I'm having. These are the things that I'm believing. How do I get a toolbox so that I can, you know, each time deal with those things, take them apart, put them back together in the way I want to, so that I can live the second half of the life, my life the way I want to. And by the way, this is your half. You earn this. Yes. Yes. I love that. And you know, you're right. When, as you were talking about it, and I was thinking about all of the beautiful things that conspire really in the second half of life, why hasn't this been the most amazing brand all along? Well, you know, what's really interesting, and I talk to women about this, is Part of it has to do with life expectancy. So it's really, you know, in the, by the, even in the, in, the, in the early 1900s, women would go through menopause and then die, right? I mean, it sounds cool, but that's the way it was. Menopause was sort of the beginning of the end. That's, that's the way it worked. This gift of 35 years is relatively new. And even though our moms had it to some extent, and even though our grandparents had it to some extent, nobody's ever really... Um, generations before us haven't really taken it for granted that, that the life expectancy is relatively new. And so it's upon us now to decide what we're going to do with this. 
Like when I said to my son, you know, when I was about 35, pushing 40, I was talking about middle age. And he was like, mom, you're not middle age yet. You're not middle age till you're 50. It was his idea that I would live to be a hundred. Right. And as we, the, these thoughts about longevity have shifted, it's become our role to, to change this. And where the anti-aging industry and the fashion industry and, you know, the makeup industry and all cosmetic industry have filled in is let's just pretend it's not happening. Right. Instead of seizing this and making something of it, instead, let's dread it and let's try to drag ourselves into it, looking by kicking and screaming, looking as though it's not really happening. And that they got there and filled the void first. They they defined it first. And I don't think it'll take much for us to redefine it, but we really do have to lock arms and we have to be there for each other. And yeah. you're a real champion of that. Middle aged women need to stand up for each other. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. So much. Yeah. And I love to, I'm thinking so much about the anti-aging. That term is such a strange term because you're right. We all are aging. I want to look amazing, but my version of looking amazing is different than my version of being 18 and looking amazing. And it's it's not looking amazing for my age. It's looking amazing objectively, but for me, Yes. Why aren't we pro-aging? Why aren't we hyper-aging? Why aren't we, the idea that it's not, it's crazy. It's like being anti-green grass or anti-blue sky. You can't be anti-something that's a fact. It doesn't make any sense. No. It just puts us in a position where we cannot win. And, you know, if you, if you decide that you want to have collagen fillers or, you know, surgery or buy bottles of serum, go ahead and do it. But don't do it because somebody else defined it for you. Don't do it because somebody else told you what you were worth. Do it because you're pumped about the 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years that are left to come. Do it because you want to rock middle age, not because you want to pretend that it's not happening to you because somebody told you that because you live more, you're worth less. And that's ultimately this message that we hear. For every year that you live, you decrease in value, you decrease in capacity, you decrease in potential. And it's just, it's, it's not true. It's crap. No. And I think it was Jane Fonda. I might be attributing this quote to the wrong person, but I think it was Jane Fonda since we just talked about her and she looked amazing. Yes, she does. Yeah. She talked about her facelift and she said something like, and it might've been that whole Megan Kelly thing. I just want to look the way I feel inside. So I'm going to. Yep. Yep. And you know, it's funny because I saw someone on social media posted the other day, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? And I saw women were writing, oh, you know, I feel like I'm 30 and I feel like I'm 29. But the truth is, I like being 50. If I didn't know how old I was, I would still know that I was 50. Because everything that I have gained in getting here, I have. It's like having a box of treasures. And every year of my life, I just put something new in the box, something I know or something I've done, something I've learned, a friend that I've made, all of these things, these treasures. And if I, if I believed that I was 29 or acted 29, I wouldn't be able to get into my treasure box and pull all this stuff out. So it, it, we come to believe that the best compliment we can get is that we don't look our age. If somebody says, wow, you don't look 50, we're like, woo, I'm rocking it, right? Why is that a compliment? Right. What? You know, when, 
Just wrap your head around that for a second. Why is it a compliment not to look your age? That's a line of bullcrap that somebody told us. But And again, by the way, not a compliment that men look for. Right. No, that is so true. And you know, I this is my own weird hang up. I've never been attached to numbers anyway. My whole life, people will say, how old are you? And I'll be like, oh, it changes every year and I just can't remember it. And it's not me being flip or, you know, if it was a big birthday, I could remember, yeah, I'm 21, you know, yeah, yeah I'm 30. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm like 40. Um, and I've, yeah. been all, I've been really excited that I'm going to be 50 in January because now I can remember that I'm 50, but now I keep finding that I'm telling people that I'm 50 and then I think, no, I'm not quite 50 yet. And, and then I'll turn yeah. 50 and then yeah. I'll, <laughs> it's, what is a number supposed to look like anyway? Where is that scale of this is what you look like at 20, 30, 40, 50? Exactly. I exactly. mean, I've had a lot of experience. However old that, whatever works for you works for me. I'm good. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's so much value in decades. And I, one of the things that I say on stage is women don't wake up in the morning and say, hot damn, I can't wait to be 50, which is such a shame because 50 is awesome. You know, something happens really in middle, middle age, you know, right about this age where we really naturally kind of stop caring so much about what everybody else thinks. It just, it just comes to us, almost every woman I meet. And that's really something to look forward to. And I, I was so pleasantly surprised about how great my 30s were and then how great my 40s were. And then now that my 50s are even better, and nobody says that. Nobody right. tells you that. And if, we, if you really looked forward, I mean, I can't wait to be 60. Yeah. I think by 60, I'm amazing. I won't even be able to fit my house anymore. Oh yeah. And, and I'm, that's a, it's a practice to, to shift your thinking. Yeah. My mom just turned 70 and she and her friends said this, their sixties were amazing. She loved them. They all loved them. So, yeah. And, I think, and these are, nobody's getting on TV and having a 30 second commercial about how great it is to be 60, but everybody's on TV having a 30 second commercial about why you should cover your fine lines and how good it would be to be 29 again. Right. And you gotta, every, we all just need to recognize who's paying for those messages and what they're getting from making us believe a certain thing. Absolutely. Well, I know there's a ton of listeners out there who are going to want to get in touch with you. Yeah. Continue this conversation to learn more about some of these lies. Will you give some of your contact information so they can yes. find you? Yeah, so the so if you would if you want to join the, the 21 day revolution, which I highly recommend, it, it's a book it comes with the book plus the 21 days. It's at positivelyprimetime.com. And if you just want to check me out, you can go to jujuhook.com. Um, lots of information there about prime time and about middle age. Um, and then from there, if for those ladies who are interested in building brands. Um, there's information that'll take you to to my branding, and I do I do work with lots of middle aged women on their brands. So um, those are kind of the three ways that you can find me. I I would love to find some of your listeners in the 21 Day Revolution. I think it's yeah, really and I, and I'm thinking they'll they're going to find me in the 21 Day Revolution too. So we can, <laughs> we can just continue this whole party and make it a, yeah, a yeah, 21 so Year Revolution. 
So I'm doing a pre-sale on that now. I know that as the holidays come, women get really caught up. And I I hear a lot of women say, well, I don't want to start anything in the holidays. So I'm pre-selling the revolution now. We won't start it until after the first of the year. Um, But between time, for the ladies who jump in early, there's an early bird price. And then I will um, provide some Facebook lives and some additional bonus information between now and then. But for those women who are thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to do that through the holidays. We won't, we won't start until after it's just early pricing now. Perfect. And you know, that actually dovetails with what I've got going on. November 1st to November 20th, I'm doing a find that peace and gratitude. Yes, I saw that. 20 for 20. Yeah. Yeah. 2020 vision that will help people get, finally feel the love on Thanksgiving instead of feeling the frazzle of, is it all done? And what can I do? And oh my God, I didn't have time to go to yoga and blah, 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 blah. So you can do my 21-day Peace and Gratitude 2020 Holiday Vision. And go straight into the the revolution, yep. Exactly. So we got them covered. (laughs) Yeah, and really when you think about it, it's like a dollar a day. Oh, yeah. change your life, right? And, and, you know, think about how much you spent last week on wrinkle cream. And you'll you'll know, you'll look much sexier if you pursue what you want and become grateful, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you a thousand times over for today. I just love you. I love your messaging (laughs) and I know the listeners feel the same way I do. Ah, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. You are welcome. Well, listeners, thank you again. Reach out to Juju, Juju Hook. Um, If you can't find her for some reason, you know how to reach me, Laura at LauraCheadle.com or www.LauraCheadle.com. And I'm difficult. I'm L-O-R-A-C-H-E-A-D-L-E. I just had to have the different spelling, but you can find me. So thank you all. Have a glorious week. And as usual, don't forget to flaunt. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Build your dreams, live your sparkle with radio host Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Come release outdated labels, roles, and scripts. Reveal the calling of your soul and re-choreograph your own life, even when you're unsure of what you want. In five bold and glittering strokes, you too can build your dreams and live your sparkle. Find out more about Laura at PyramidFusion.com.